Hello and welcome back to the CPO Strategy Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Sean Galliopach, and today I'm lucky enough to be joined by Carsten Hansen. He's worked for the likes of United Nations, UNDP, and Crownfield School of Management. He'll be offering invaluable insights into where the space is today in 2023 and offering some guidance on how barriers can be broken down along the way too. Hope you enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to the CPO Strategy Podcast. The dedicated procurement podcast brought to you by CPO Strategy Magazine that delivers valuable C-level perspective into the core issues surrounding procurement transformation, digitalization, sustainability, talent, the procure tech ecosystem, and more. Each episode delivers powerful and inspiring insight from those who are leading transformation strategies within the world's biggest and best-known companies. The CPO Strategy Podcast. Disrupt. Transform. Evolve. Well, I think for most people, I didn't actually go straight into procurement. I sort of drifted into it uh, by design, I have to say, but it wasn't my objective at university. I studied international relations, security studies, peace building, and uh, I started my career with the United Nations uh, as a junior professional officer. Basically, it's a secondment from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs to the United Nations. Um, and. Uh, Before that, I had done peacekeeping. I have a military background, so I came from peacekeeping in Sarajevo in Bosnia during the 1990s. I was in Iraq for the UNICOM mission. And um, when I was seconded, I was seconded to Somalia um, because it was a conflict uh, country and the sort of peace building background that I had um, was the sort of entry point. Now, coming to Somalia and working with the UN, working on projects and development programs towards state building, et cetera, um, I quickly realized that I kind of felt unempowered. Everything that I needed to do, uh, if I wanted to build something, if I wanted to buy something, if I wanted to bring some consultants on board, um, I needed to go to procurement. And I felt unempowered. I felt like, okay, I want to be these guys because they get things done. And uh, I started taking courses, uh, uh, long distance, remote courses, piling them up. And ultimately I ended up uh, being elevated to the head of procurement and contracting for the UNDP operations in Somalia. And ended up spending nine years in Somalia, uh, building infrastructure projects, uh, agricultural infrastructure, uh, police academies, ministries, um, doing a whole lot of procurement of course, um, but really working on implementing our programs, which had gone from what we call a, a national implementation to direct implementation. There was um, a need for UNDP in this case to implement our programs themselves and directly, which meant that we were directly responsible for all the procurement activities and risk management on the ground. So my entry point really to, to procurement was about getting that empowerment, getting those tools in my hands, learning how to use them. And ultimately, I I changed completely uh, over to procurement uh, and working in that space because that's where you get things done, frankly. And after that, I went to Lebanon as head of a supply chain division, uh, then to New York as the uh, global senior procurement 
um, advisor for the UNDP and ending up doing a lot of risk management in procurement because that's really what I have learned in Somalia. It's the ultimate test for risk management. Everything you do has to be thought out to its furthest possible consequences because something will go wrong for sure. And that sort of risk management lens in procurement is something I took with me into my advisory positions and ended up leveraging that in running elections in Afghanistan, um, going to uh, various countries around the world doing procurement risk assessments um, from Iraq, Syria, uh, the Pacific Islands, North Korea, where we also had operations. So really taking that procurement approach and that risk management lenses with me in everything I did. And then ultimately ended up as global head of procurement for UNDP, which uh, I finished here first of uh, April this year. As the world continues to adopt greener approaches and companies begin to make it more of a priority, Carsten provides his insight about how sustainable procurement has gone from something that was simply nice to have before to something that is essential in 2023. I mean, sustainable procurement has been around for a long time. There's been some fantastic champions within the space that has been doing a lot of great work. What's really happening, I think, is that it's gone from a nice to have or sort of a CSR uh, kind of approach to something much more material. There's a growing um, and evolving framework of national legislation around sustainability, both in terms of uh, reporting on your emissions, uh, due diligence in your supply chains. And that materiality has now come into the equation and made it much more real. Uh, so much less a nice to have, but much more a financial materiality that kicks in or um, real impact on your supply chain disruption. Um, if you don't fulfill the, uh, the, your due diligence obligations, you can risk having your uh, goods impounded uh, at the port of entry and therefore you would have a supply chain disruption. So the, the notion of sustainability has become very real for business operations. I think that is the big change. The regulations are a key driver. Um, and it's also about positioning themselves on the market now. Companies are realizing uh, this is coming, is coming their way. Um, it's going to become much more regulated, that space. Um, so they want to, to get started on it. Uh, so I think the, the whole regulatory framework is important, it's an important driver. There's also, of course, uh, consumer sentiment. Uh, that's another driver, depending on your industry. But if you have a sort of very clear consumer facing um, operation and those sentiments are very real in, in your industry, then of course that's another key driver. Another one that ha have come up is uh, talent retention. How do you attract and, and retain talent, uh, particularly the younger generations who feel that this is an important part of, of their identity working for a company that has a clear sustainability objective sort of more purposeful approach to, um, uh, to their workplace. And I think many companies, if they don't have that clearly articulated, uh, it has potentially an impact on their talent uh, or the ability to attract talent uh, and ultimately uh, retain them. And then also, finally, if I may, I think there's been so much interesting um, um, developments within digitalization, automation. So we now have 
new tools that makes it uh, manageable and more easier to implement sustainability. I mean, we have blockchain, for instance, we can do isotope testing on, on fiber so we can determine from which location uh, that, uh, that uh, cotton or silk uh, was originating. So we also have these new technology tools that allows us more effectively um, to, uh, to monitor and, and manage sustainability efforts. Uh, I have teenage children, <laughs> so they're very clear on what they expect uh, as young consumers. And I remember in 2022, I think it was, shopping at H&M with my teenage daughters. Um, and there was these huge banners saying, our cotton uh, at H&M are completely sustainable. Um, and I thought that was interesting that they made that such a very strong message uh, to their consumers. But of course, they're targeting this particular segment of, of consumers in society. So it shows how this consumer sentiment is very real um, for many in the industries. But I don't think we should underestimate the older generation, if you wish. Um, I think they're very much on the ball as well and, and really driving uh, the push as well. Uh, they are definitely seeing the need for it. So uh, I think it's really all around. In 2020, the world changed unlike anything anyone had ever seen before or could have predicted. It was a truly unique situation for all in supply chain and beyond. Carsten reflects on the challenges of the last few years and whether procurement was forced to take a back seat because of the pandemic. I think the pandemic was an outlier. It was really an alignment of the planets uh, from a procurement perspective. Uh, we, in, in my former team, we were tasked to deliver um, uh, PPM and medical equipment to support governments that were not able to deliver that during the global stockout. And uh, I mean, this is just a shout out to, to my former team, but also to any procurement practitioner involved in, in, in PPE. Uh, procurement during the that pandemic. Um, this was an alignment of planets in a scale that we've never seen before. Um, there were stories of suitcases with cash changing hands on the tarmacs of airports and flights being redirected, etc. So this was a very unique uh, supply chain uh, situation uh, globally. And I think under those circumstances, yes, uh, we weren't thinking about emissions. This was about getting things on a plane, flying it there. There was no time to uh, to do uh, sea shipment versus air shipment calculations on uh, lowering your footprint. It was about getting the PPE out to the people, or the vaccinations out to the people where and when it was needed. Um, also, uh, you know, when the boat is sinking, nobody is really concerned about uh, who made it or where the a life vest was manufactured, if you wish, right? So there was a lot of, unfortunately, um, additional exposure to uh, human trafficking, forced labor scenarios in supply chains. Um, also because many of the regulations that were in place to go into site visits uh, became ineffective because you were not allowed to go to the sites. Even the regulators were not allowed to go to the sites. And um, we saw particularly in Asia, uh, that many of the migrant workers, the informal workers became very vulnerable because many of them were laid off. And that sort of changed the dynamics between um, the most vulnerable workers and the, the employers um, 
really making them much more vulnerable to to abuse and so on. So I think there was a, a refocus once after the pandemic on saying, okay, um, this really happened and and we were very much exposed in this environment. And now with the net zero commitments from COP26 and now 27 uh, last year, I think it's going to build up new momentum. We have to deliver against the uh, national targets uh, on net zero. And you see this evolving frameworks of due diligence uh, in supply chains evolving at the national levels. The latest one, I believe, is in, in Germany that came out in January. We are expecting the EU Directive on Human Rights. Um, and these frameworks have real implications for how we do procurement and run our supply chains. And I think that momentum is now only getting stronger. Carsten questions the barriers in the way of sustainable procurement in today's world and discusses how they can be overcome to unlock greater opportunity. Look, I think implementing sustainability in any organization is complex and multi-dimensional. There's been a lot of focus initially on policy and, and sort of the regulatory framework. And that is, of course, often the starting point in any organization and when and how can you apply sustainability. But the, but the real challenge is how do you implement it? How do you integrate it into business processes? How do you manage the additional workload, the expertise required and so on? So um, as the former head of global procurement for my previous organization, I was surprised how complex and how difficult it was. I had the clearest mandate on the planet working with the UN. We had 600 plus buyers. Uh, in 174 countries around the world, all committed to the SDG 12.7 um, agenda. Um, so why was it so difficult? So I wrote a piece called uh, Waking the Trillion Dollar Giant, which is really an analysis of what are the barriers and opportunities when implementing sustainability. And quickly realized, of course, well, policy and regulations is an important part of it, but there is a whole organizational change process which needs to be managed. You need to, to, to pitch, if you wish, the sustainability agenda in different ways, in different languages uh, to different stakeholders. So when you talk to your CFO, you need to explain, you know, what are the cost implications? When can you break even? What is the business case around sustainability? When you speak to the CEO, you need to position that uh, in a different way. How are you positioning the company overall? Um, when you speak to the requisitioners, you need to get them on board in saying, look, there's different ways, there's, uh, there's um, alternatives here, you can think differently about what you're requiring or how you use it. Um, and then you need to pitch it to your own practitioners because they're already overworked as it is and sustainability is a massive undertaking for them. So they need to understand what is the value. They need to have this reflected in their personal performance appraisals so that this is aligned um, with their expectations and your expectations to them. And then at the end, of course, you need to engage with your suppliers. You're not doing this in isolation. This is an entire transition of the global economy. So you need to work closely with your suppliers, making sure that their maturity within this space matches with your expectations and so on, and work hand in hand to meet that objective collectively. So I guess to answer your question, I think is, um, what do we fear the most as procurement people? I think it's the sort of unrealistic expectation that this is procurement in isolation who can just implement sustainability. This is an organization-wide undertaking. It's a change of mindset, um, not only in the organization, but with the entire 
uh, infrastructure ecosystem of your organization, including the suppliers. Look, I think it needs to be made tangible. There's a lot of talk, high level, a lot of noise, if you wish, around sustainability. And in order for procurement practitioners to really pick it up, it needs to be made tangible. It needs to be linked to KPIs, performance metrics. It needs to be something achievable. I think many procurement practitioners and managers feel that it's also moving goalposts, right? It's like there's, there's something every day and things are changing. Um, and that makes it very difficult to work with. And maybe sometimes you feel you're not able to achieve and live up to the expectations because the expectations are not clearly articulated uh, in metrics. So make it real, make it tangible, uh, put it into metrics, uh, resource your people to, to achieve it, um, invest in the training and the awareness around uh, sustainability so that it can be clearly defined in the context of people's work. And then I think you, you can overcome that. <laughs> and then stop using that PowerPoint slide or that picture with the little green thing growing from the money. People are tired of that. <laughs> they, they want to see something different. So my hope and expectation is that in 10 years from now, we won't be talking about sustainable procurement because sustainability will be so integrated and standardized um, and just be part of procurement as we know it. And so you won't be differentiating between procurement and sustainable procurement. It'll be one of the same thing, simply because the regulatory framework, the, uh, the, the mindset around procurement um, will have, have aligned. So this will just be considered regular standard procurement. And I think you can compare it a little bit to the, um, to the uh, accounting standards or lack of same uh, before the 1929 crash. <clears throat> There were no global accounting standards for how you report on the financial performance of your company. Similar today, uh, we don't have the standardization in place yet um, for what are the global standards for sustainable procurement. And therefore, it can be a little bit of a confusing environment that we are navigating now. But once that standardization sets in, um, it will be much easier to navigate. And as I said, it will just become, in my view, part of doing regular Having recently left his role with the United Nations, Carsten talks us through his new position as Executive Director and Founder of Sourcing House Research Group and gives us the mission statement of his new organisation. Yes, yeah, so I left my role at the UN where I was the Global Head of uh, Procurement Services and also the co-chair of the Sustainable Procurement Working Group. So I stepped out of that last month and um, took the opportunity to launch this uh, research and consulting uh, company. And really our focus here is to exactly help companies navigate the noise, develop clear playbooks, clear strategies on how you implement uh, sustainable procurement really talking about at the practitioner level, how do you integrate uh, sustainability into your business processes? How do you simplify it? How do you automate it so you can achieve scale and speed in the implementation? So that um, requires a clear roadmap or a playbook as we call it. We developed a playbook for this um, thematic areas where we have substance expertise, including emissions reduction, scope three and due diligence and then taking that out uh, to organizations and to help them implement organization-wide sustainability strategies that really reach tangible 
output. So really cutting through the noise, leveraging our practitioner experience and taking that practitioner focus, making it real, which I think is, is so critical. Um, I also wanted to say that I have, uh, together with the Schulich School of Business uh, here in Toronto, um, we've launched what we call the Sustainable Public Procurement Accelerator Lab. It's a bit long, so we just call it the SPP Lab. Um, but really here, um, we, we, we've de developed a research platform which will develop tools and methodologies which are research-based which we can support procurement practitioners around the world uh, in, in empowering them to, to uh, implement the 12.7 uh, of the SDG, which is about uh, public procurement. And we really wanted to reach out to that procurement assistant sitting in a municipality in a faraway province in Indonesia, Argentina or Canada and, and empower that individual to, with the tools, the methodologies, which are research-based, academically robust, um, software, which is open source on GitHub, which is cleaned up that they can use and leverage without having to invest hundreds of thousands of dollars in it, run the analysis, do the visualizations, use the metrics, and really empower them to go ahead and, and work on sustainability. So um, I, we really want to weaponize uh, procurement practitioners around the world in the war against climate change. And that's what we're trying to achieve. Having achieved so much success over a lengthy career, Carsten reflects on the beginning of his journey and questions whether or not he would do anything differently if he was starting all over again. Yes, I would have bought Apple stocks, Tesla stocks, and Bitcoin, and then I would be retired by now. That would be the advice I would give myself. <laughs> Look, I doubt that I would have taken any advice from anyone when I just left university, and I think that's the way it should be. Um, it's about going out there, taking risks, staying curious, trying new things, um, and, and really sort of building opportunities for yourselves by connecting dots. Uh, and uh, fundamentally, I think, things will emerge uh, as you get into it. New opportunities will come from it. So just stay curious, keep pushing. And, um, and fundamentally, I think actually networking is the thing that has uh, helped me the most. And I don't mean sort of networking in a broad and general terms, but really building relationships with people, professionals, uh, as you move through your career and leveraging that, be a mutual support function for each other. That gives you the courage uh, to do many new things, push agendas and change mindsets. And I think that is that is just critical. And, and keep learning. Um, I just did the uh, Python course uh, two years ago. Uh, I mean, I just turned 50. So I have to say that it, it was a challenge, um, but I needed to do it because I felt I didn't speak the language uh, required to manage um, projects uh, involving coding, etc. I will never become a programmer, but I needed to learn the language. And my point is just learn as much as you can, stay curious, keep evolving, uh, because then you will frankly uh, always be ready for the opportunity when it comes. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the CPO Strategy Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it, and if you have, make sure that you subscribe or like our social media pages so that you never miss an episode. I'll see you next time.
listening to the CPO Strategy Podcast, brought to you by CPO Strategy Magazine and B2E Media Limited. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please remember to like, subscribe and review. And don't forget to check out our podcast archive at www.cpostrategypodcast.com.